You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Last Sunday in the Southern Baptist Convention denominational calendar was Social Issue Sunday. And one of the significant social issues that they asked, we're an autonomous church, we can do what we want, but what they asked SBC churches to contemplate addressing, there's many social issues. One of the issues over the last six months that has really come to our attention in a shameful way for the Southern Baptist Convention is the issue of abuse. And I don't want you to think that this sermon is an exhaustive, everything you need to know, all-inclusive, three points in a poem about abuse. It is much more complex and complicated than that. But what I do want to do is hopefully set the tone and the tenor for what we as a church need to do to become a safe haven for survivors of abuse and to make sure it's prevented in this building. All right? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. I want to preach to you on the subject of caring well for the abused. The prevalence of abuse in America is extremely high. The Center for Disease and Prevention cites that one out of every three women and one out of every four men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact in their lives. The Department of Justice cites that one in four women and one out of every six men are sexually abused before they turn 18 years old. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, every nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse. The American Medical Association cites that over 700,000 women in the United States are sexually assaulted every year. That's one every 45 seconds. We as the church know and we have to feel deeply that these statistics are not right. This is not how the world should be. And yet, these statistics only begin to tell the story. Actual incidences of sexual abuse far exceed reported incidences of sexual abuse as most survivors do not report their abuse. Research shows that 60% of child sexual abuse victims tell no one that they've been abused. The preconceived notion that strangers perpetrate most incidences of sexual abuse is a myth. The majority of survivors of sexual abuse know their abuser. The Department of Justice found that three out of four female adult victims knew their offender. And 90% of child victims of sexual abuse know their perpetrator. Today, we cannot assume there are not victims and offenders in our congregation. 
the question that we have to dive into is how can we care well for the abused? How can we make Mount Carmel a safe haven for survivors and safe from abuse? Gladly, the Bible speaks well about how to care well for the abused. So what is it that the Bible says about caring well for the abused? Let's look at, we're going to look at a number of verses, but we're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Now this is a book that's attributed to, the, uh, to King Solomon, one of the wisest men to live. And near the end of his life, he kind of surveys existence and humanity and sees that all is vanity, all is empty. All is, is literally worthless without a life connected to God and keeping His commands. And look at one of the things in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, that he says this is one of the most horrific and terrible things to happen on the face of the earth. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. He says, again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. The very first thing that I want us to see in this passage, uh, the, the preacher here, Solomon, tells us to do what in this passage? What's it say? Look at the text. To what? To look. To look. We're responsible to observe. We're responsible to take this issue seriously. We're not to be indifferent, apathetic, negligent, or to pass by and look over. And sadly, let's just be honest, in many churches, when, when things like this happen, we just want to put it out of sight so it can be what? Out of mind. And the preacher here in Ecclesiastes says, look. Look at the oppressed. There's no one to comfort them. The first point of application, I want you to write down in your notes or if you're using the Bible app on new version, it's just simply this. Take disclosure seriously. Take disclosure seriously. I mean, when someone who comes up to you and wants to disclose to you that they've been abused, this is not a time to be indifferent. This is a time to listen. This is a time to care. This is a time to not look away. We take disclosure seriously. Trillia Newbell, a sexual abuse survivor, an advocate and author, she writes this, one of the hardest things a survivor of sexual assault ever does is say these words out loud. I have been a victim of sexual assault. People often do not share this because of shame an unwarranted guilt that plagues them. So when someone tells you this deeply personal part of their story, you must be ready to listen and care without any hint of accusation. Now how can we take disclosure or listening to abuse victims seriously? The first thing, these are just subpoints. you may just want to write them down. When someone discloses, we must protect confidentiality. We must protect confidentiality. 
the, the, the survivor needs to know that she or he can be trusted, all right, and that they can entrust us with their very soul. The second thing that we need to do is disclosure is not the time for us, the recipients who hear it, for us to express anger or disbelief. And I understand how that can be an automatic response. But that's actually, if we can, by the Holy Spirit, control ourselves. Just listen to this. Repeated studies have found that only 1% to 7% of allegations of child sexual abuse are false. That's a small percentage. Here's the idea. So with accusations involving children, we should receive disclosures as credible and immediately hand them over to outside professionals who demonstrate otherwise. All right? This is one thing that you're going to see a little bit more. It is not the job of the church to investigate. All right? Sadly, we have done a terrible job of doing that. We tend to protect our own, and that's not good. What our job is, is to listen, not express anger, not express, uh, 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 what I was trying to say, disbelief, but to simply listen, and then we turn that over to the appropriate authority. That's our job in this instance. The third thing, disclosure, disclosure, at disclosure, at the very moment they tell us about this, this is not the time to talk about forgiveness. I need you to catch this. Please catch this. Someday it will be. Someday it will be. But healing is a process. And we should not dictate when survivors should pray for, forgive, or even face their abuser. It will take time, and that is, that is okay. Many times in churches, when we get a messy situation like that, and we believe it's going to take years... We try to rush the process. That's not the time to rush this. If someone discloses, we're not going to sit there and thump them with, well, you need to forgive, you need to forgive. This is actually the moment to listen, to turn this over to the authorities and allow the justice system to play out. We will have other opportunities to talk about forgiveness and healing and possibly, maybe, reconciliation. But that is nothing, nothing that needs to happen on day one. Now, let's go to point number two. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you and then look at the scriptures. Number two, the second point of application, what we must do. We must refer abusers. Now, what I mean by that is if abuse happens in the context of this local church, I want to go ahead and tell you what you should do. If you believe a child's abuse or abuse has happened under these four walls, you, number one, all right, immediately report it to the pastors, myself and Aaron. But here's what I want to go ahead and be absolutely transparent with. As God is my witness, I sincerely hope I will be kept from every temptation and can live in holiness. Do you hear me? But I do believe that the minute a minister thinks he's beyond the scope of any sin, he is liable to fall. And so if you were to ever think that I'm a part of that, you go and you report it to our deacons. I need you to see that there should be nobody in this church that is not held accountable to somebody. All right? So you either report it to me. If you think one of the pastors is involved, you go report it to the deacons. All right? 
And here's what we're going to do, number two in that application. So refer abusers, and then here's what's going to happen, and report abuse to law enforcement. We're going to listen. We're not going to express anger or disbelief. We're going to listen, and as soon as that's finished, we're going to report and let the law enforcement do what it's supposed to do. Now, you say, what's the theological reasoning behind this? Why should we have this route where we refer and then report? A couple of things. In Psalm 99.8, I gave you the reference there in your notes and in the Bible app. Listen about, listen about Yahweh's nature, the God of Israel. He says, the Lord, our God, you answered them. And notice what he says. You were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their sinful actions. Did you notice this? God is a what? Forgiver and a avenger. He's both and. So just notice in the character of God, we love to make God just either all forgiveness or all vengeance. And what does he do? Both. Listen to Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. I love to know that when you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that God will not judge you. Amen? There's nothing more freeing than that. But let me tell you what that verse does not mean and what the rest of the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say anything about there being no consequences for those who are in Christ. Did you catch that? Everybody knows here, you can be in Christ and sin and feel its consequences. We're saying, that verse is saying, there is no judgment from God. But there certainly are consequences. While there's no condemnation, there are still consequences for our sin, especially criminal consequences. Then look at these two other verses from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Listen to what the Bible implores godly people to do. Speak up for, for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. The church is not a place where we should, shh, let's keep this quiet. Too many churches, and we could be guilty of this too, we want to maintain our reputation. No, we're called to speak up, even if it's at the expense of our reputation as a church. We've got to do that. And then look what it says in Proverbs 28.1. Proverbs 28.1. It says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. This is why we thank God for law enforcement. They're a deterrent for evildoers. If they know they won't be caught, what will wicked people do? Keep doing it. So when no one's pursuing them, when they know I can go to a church or a church people, they won't say anything. They're just going to talk about forgiveness. They're not going to talk about God's judgment and justice. They're not going to report. They would never do that. Then wickedness will just continue to flourish. And what people need to know is that if you get to Mount Carmel, hey, the wickedness ends. You've just came into a safe haven for survivors. You'll not be allowed to thrive. We, the church, must confront everyone about sin and forgiveness in Christ. And please know this, if you have abused someone, you can be forgiven. I need you to know that. 
Christ can forgive you. He pled and died for every sin. But at the same time, we will report you and that abuse to civil authorities because the same God who established the church is the same God who also appointed the courts to investigate, prosecute, and punish evildoers. You can see that in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. The government is an institution by God as well. What does that mean for us? And you may want to write this down. This is the one line I think that speaks to me so deeply about this issue. A failure to report abuse is not forgiveness. It is tolerance of sin. A failure to report abuse is not forgiveness. It is tolerance of sin. We, the church, are responsible to use both the church and the courts as a means of Christ's forgiveness and justice. One of the questions that's asked by many people is how do I know if I should report? I want to give you the expert opinion on this. Ministry Safe Founders, we actually use Ministry Safe here at the church. Ministry Safe Founders and sexual abuse attorneys Gregory Love and Kimberly Norris solve this reporting problem. When, when or if should I report? And here's what they say. When in doubt, report. When in doubt, report. Yeah, it may be, hey, it may be nothing, and you may take some heat, but what if it's something? You may have saved a child. So when in doubt, report. The third thing, the third thing, write this down in your notes, take preventive measures. Now, I'm not talking about you as an individual I'm talking about us as a body, as a church. We need to take preventive measures. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 18, 6. Listen to this. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck, and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you think our Lord Jesus cares about the little ones? From that statement, it's astoundingly yes. He says, you, you've become a stumbling block for one of these little ones, and you should be drowned in the bottom of the ocean. Now, what does that mean? Grief and trauma specialist John Schutze puts it this way. Child abuse causes children to stumble in the faith in many ways. In life, it can trigger sinful behavior to cope with painful memories. It often confuses the person spiritually and theologically. They ask, if there is a God, why didn't God help me? If God promises to answer our prayers, then why didn't God stop my abuse? I prayed about it many times. Although a strong and responsive church community can and should be a source of healing and comfort for a survivor of sexual violence, it has not always been the case. Here this church, Rachel Den Hollander, a sexual assault survivor, said this, Predators often target faith communities because of our mishandling of sexual assault. Churches are one of the safest places for predators to flourish. We cannot let that happen on our watch. 
And because of that, this is where the sermon gets a little rough for some of you who say, I have nothing to do with this. Well, let me tell you two ways that you may have something to do with this in an extreme way. In our next-gen ministry, that's our children, student, and college ministries, we have two policies that are mandatory. You may want to write these down. So in case you're a part of the new wave of people that's coming in and you're getting involved in any children's, student, or college ministry under the next-gen umbrella, the first thing that you need to know is you need to complete your background check. Complete your background check. You say, where do I get one? Go see Pastor Aaron Darty. all right? Go see him. He's either downstairs, that's really usually where he's at with the next-gen. Go see them and ask him. I need a background check. I lost the one I was supposed to fill out. He, will, he has a stack of them ready today. And here's what ha- has happened, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you go, Josh, Josh, you're asking for my social security number. You're going to do a, a statewide and national search, and any record that ever shows up, it will show up on this report. Absolutely right. And if that is too much for you, then you just don't need to work in our next-gen area. Do you hear me? I want complete and utter transparency. I have done this same background check, so I'm not asking you to do anything that I have not done myself. But we have to make sure our conscience is clear about who we're employing to work with our children, students, and college people. The second thing, and here's where it's going to hit most of you, because I know who has and who hasn't done this. I won't call you out by name, although I could. Does that scare anybody right there? Complete your child safety training video. Now some of you go, what? You get emailed a video. It's about eight or nine lessons, 45 minutes long. I went through all of it, and there's a 25-question quiz. It just updates you on all the policies concerning preventing sexual abuse of children. We expect every next-gen worker and volunteer to take this. Now, again, I'll just get real with you. If 45 minutes of your time is too much to find out this information, you don't need to serve in the next-gen area. Turn off one TV show, right? Stop one. Make one hour of your day. It's that important. Because you may learn some signs and things that could be happening that the next person don't know. And I'm going to make it real. Your failure to complete both of these The background check and this child safety and training video keeps Mount Carmel from being a safe haven for survivors and from abuse. So I want you to bombard Aaron. All right? He's hunted you, and I know things get busy. I know there's a hundred other things going on. I am raising this as, like, number one priority today. Get it done, church. And if you go, "I I don't have the email anymore... Put your name, email on that tear-off panel on others. Say, this child safety will make sure it's sent to you this week. And get it done. We want to make sure that our church is safe. So what? So what? Do you feel the conviction that things are not right when it comes to this issue? Do you feel it deep in your bones? You've got to get to a place that this is an area of conviction for us as a church. We cannot let this happen on our watch and in our community. Carol Hogue, 
And this is important. I want to say this to you. This is a mother of a sexual abuse survivor. Can I, can I speak a word real quick? Just side note. If you're a parent whose children have experienced sexual abuse, it is quite common from everything that I've read for parents to just not necessarily outright deny, but not be able to accept the reality that it may have happened on their watch. This is going to be the hardest thing probably for some of you today. That if your child, and they may be adult children now, adults, have had this happen to them in their past, and they try to talk to you about it, and, you've, and you just have just been not today, or you keep pushing it down the road, one of the greatest things of healing that you can do for that survivor is just simply acknowledge it. Just go, I hear you. Because you are, you are delaying their healing. And that's going to be, I know that's going to be a messy, tough conversation. I get that. I'm asking you on their behalf. They're, they're pleading and begging, I promise you. I wish mom would just see it. I wish dad would just see it. I wish they just would go, yeah, that happened, and acknowledge it. That could be the next right step in that person's healing. So listen to what this survivor of abuse, uh, the mother of a sexual abuse survivor and child abuse prevention expert writes. What can the church do? She says this, what got us through this difficult time? That's the question. She said, our faith and a lot of prayer. We had the love and support of family and friends. We had a deep and abiding faith in God and knew that he would not leave us nor forsake us. We are now all stronger in our faith and committed to addressing the issue of child sexual abuse and to supporting those who have experienced all praise and glory belong to God. But I want you to see this. There was a network of family and friends church people who surrounded them with love and support, not judgment, but to pray that they would be healed through this process. Church, I'm going to call on you today in our altar call time. Will you just come and pray for survivors of abuse? Pray for their healing. Be that listening ear. Be ready to take disclosure seriously. Go do the hard things. Get the background checks done. Go get the child safety training done. Why? Because again, we want to do everything we can. Our conscience wants to be clear that we are going to try to eliminate this issue where it may touch us. But here's the word. What about if you're a survivor today? What if you're sitting here at Mount Carmel and nobody else knows? You've not told me. You've not told You don't have to tell me. I'm saying, as you're sitting here, and it's been weighing on you, this has happened either weeks ago or years ago, is there any hope? Is there any help? And again, I want to cite Trillia Newbell, again, a survivor. Here's what she writes to tell you. It says, when a congregant shares the deep wound of abuse, she will need to hear from Hebrews 10.22 that she is clean and covered because of the blood of Jesus. She will need to hear from Isaiah 53.3 that Jesus was a man of sorrows and is acquainted with the deepest grief. She will need to hear from Hebrews 4.16 that she can draw near to Him to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help 
in her time of need. She will need to be reminded that Jesus and God the Father still love her. You are still loved. And we love you. I'll leave you with this one thought. Megan Lively, survivor of sexual violence, says this. Our history isn't our future. Our history isn't our future. And I really believe that in Christ, what happened in the past, it doesn't have to haunt you every single day. In Christ, and hopefully with a loving church, we want to help you take the next right step in healing. Let us pray for you. We'll take you seriously. Let us comfort you. Let us keep it in confidentiality. And if need be, we will report. But we want to become a church that cares well for the abused. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.